Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was March 9th, 1959. In New York City, at the American Toy Fair, Barbie Millicent Roberts from Willows, Wisconsin, made her first appearance. The plastic doll was 11 inches, or 28 centimeters tall, with blonde hair and idealistic body proportions. Up until this point, the most popular toy dolls in the United States didn't have adult features. But the first Barbie doll sold for $3, and the toy quickly became a sensation for children all over the world. Since Barbie's birthday, she's gotten a family, had an impressive number of careers, been to a ton of places, and taken part in plenty of entertaining storylines. And she can be worth a lot more than three bucks today. Some Barbies fetch thousands of dollars but her popularity has not come without controversy. Ruth and Elliot Handler, along with Harold Matson, were co-founders of the toy company Mattel. When the Handlers were on a trip with their children, Barbara and Ken, in 1956, they saw a doll named Build Lily that looked like an adult with feminine traits. That was different from the dolls American children usually played with, which typically looked like infants but Lily was on the complete opposite side of the spectrum. The Lily doll was based on a comic strip character and initially put in tobacco shops for guys to buy as gags. But the adult-figured doll, which could be dressed up in different outfits, soon became a hit for kids. When Ruth came across Lily, she had already realized that her daughter preferred playing with paper dolls that she pretended were adults and Lily was the perfect inspiration for Ruth's own version of an adult doll. Elliot and executives at Mattel weren't so hot about the idea of an adult doll. But when Ruth got back to the States, she and engineer Jack Ryan set to work on creating the tiny-waisted doll the world came to know and love as Barbie. Barbie, with her frilly bangs and blonde or brunette hair pulled back into a ponytail, was marketed as a teenage fashion model. She wore a black and white striped swimsuit, had high arched eyebrows and stylish sunglasses, and her eyes were fixed in a sideways glance. And like Lily, Barbie also had a wardrobe that could be purchased separately. Barbie's pale skin, exaggerated proportions, and glamorous style were reminiscent of the stars America idolized at the time, like Rita Hayworth and Elizabeth Taylor. And even though many parents complained that Barbie's measurements were unrealistic and could negatively affect kids' self-image, many others saw Barbie as challenging stereotypical gender roles. About 300,000 Barbie dolls sold in the first year after it was released. In 1961, the German toy maker Greiner & Hauser sued Mattel for patent infringement, saying that Barbie was a, quote, direct takeoff and copy of Build Lily, and that Mattel had falsely claimed it was the originator of Barbie's design. 
But the case was settled out of court, and Mattel soon bought Griner and Hauser's copyright and patent rights for Build a Lily for $21,600. And Barbie's sales kept skyrocketing. Mattel had pioneered the use of commercials to market toys to kids, and they used this tactic to grow the consumer base for Barbie. In 1961, Ken Carson, Barbie's boyfriend, was introduced. In 1963, Mattel launched Midge Hadley, Barbie's best friend, to prove that Barbie wasn't just a sex symbol. And in 1964, Barbie's first little sister, Skipper Roberts, joined the family. Over the years, Barbie and her menagerie of friends, family, boyfriends, celebrity companions, accessories, and homes grew. And so did her resume, with jobs like registered nurse, astronaut, pilot, scientist, game developer, and president making the cut. Barbie also went through a lot of changes in appearance. Her eyes were changed to look straight ahead. She now comes in different body types, and there are non-white Barbies, representing people of many different ethnicities and nationalities. Barbie, a symbol of the times when she was introduced, was culturally and economically compelled to reflect a changing society as time went on. Mattel has fought to keep Barbie relevant in recent years, facing changing consumer habits and a mercurial market by focusing on inclusivity. But updates to the doll's figure and background have kept Barbie alive for 60 years. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at TDIHC Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We'll see you tomorrow. Hi, everyone. I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast where we rip out a page from the history books every day. The day was March 9th, 1916. The Battle of Columbus began as a raid that Pancho Villa led on the border town of Columbus, New Mexico. When Pancho Villa ran into the U.S. Army, the raid turned into an all-out battle. Pancho Villa was a revolutionary and a leading figure in the Mexican Revolution. He was the commander of the División del Norte Cavalry and for a time the governor of the Mexican state of Chihuahua. At the beginning of the Mexican Revolution, which started around 1910, Pancho Villa had widespread support. When Venustiano Carranza took over as head of state in 1915, he met opposition from Pancho Villa and U.S. President Woodrow Wilson. Wilson supported Pancho Villa at least for a short time. By late 1915, after huge losses in the Battle of Celaya, Pancho Villa had lost a lot of support. He and his soldiers were in northern Mexico looking for supplies, so he planned a raid on the military garrison in the U.S. town of Columbus, New Mexico. It's not completely clear why he conducted the raid, but he sent people to collect information on the garrison. Villa led around 1,500 men across the border. Less than half of that number of men attacked the garrison in the early hours of March 9, 1916. The army set about looting and burning the town, but the U.S. quickly returned the violence. 
the 13th Cavalry Regiment of the U.S. Army was stationed at the garrison. They shot at Villa's men with machine guns, and civilians living in the town fought back too. The División del Norte resisted the counterattacks and civilian force until they were forced to retreat. Villa's men had managed to gather supplies from the raid, but they suffered a lot of losses. More than 100 people in the División del Norte were dead. On the U.S. side, a couple dozen people were killed with more wounded. The U.S. soon sent thousands of troops to the border. President Wilson sent General John J. Pershing to Mexico to capture or kill Pancho Villa in an effort known as the Punitive Expedition. Though the U.S. searched for Villa for months, using airplanes and trucks to aid the operation, they did not find Villa. By February of 1917, when the U.S.'s entry into World War I was imminent, Pershing and the troops abandoned the effort. Carranza withdrew permission for the occupation, and Pershing returned to the U.S. In 1920, Villa was granted amnesty and a decent pension after agreeing to cease his independent military activities. He stayed in a hacienda in Chihuahua until 1923, when he was assassinated. That year, a formal commission began to negotiate claims against Mexico, including ones from Columbus residents. Mexico didn't agree to pay off U.S. claims until more than a decade later. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at T-D-I-H-C Podcast. You can also shoot us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening. I hope to see you here again tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.